0: Hi, Hannah. Hey, Anna. Hey. So we've been talking about our identities as writers for a while now. I think it's time to do our podcast. That's a great idea. But what should we call it? Hmm. How about How about a play on the pen is mightier than the sword? Like the pen is. That, that's it. The pen is.
1: The pen is so many things. It's scary, it's honest, it's funny, and the pen lets us explore what it means to be a work in progress.
0: And hey, Hannah, we are a work in progress.
1: You said it. Let's get started. Okay. Hello.
0: Hello. So I asked you last time we spoke, Hana, to um, write a little piece about what it's like to be a modern Jewish woman with your parents' and grandparents' experiences and their influences on your development. And we had decided, or I had decided to kind of ask you to dive deeper into that subject because of some of the prompts that you had written last time we did this together, uh, where I wanted, I was curious to see what writing, what how to pull out writing from you that is more based on a personal experience and more of an emotional piece. Um, I mean, is that, is that what you recall us talking about? I do.
1: Yeah. So I'm, I am curious to get your impression of if you feel like I, uh, I did that or. You... <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I will definitely share all of that. And I was just to to start it out, I was really excited to read it and I was excited to finish reading it as well. And just a couple of things I wanted to say about it, um, and then we'll go deeper into it. But I did want to say I almost had a hard time hearing your voice in it and that that's not a negative thing. It was it was because I, I'm used to um I mean obviously I haven't read a lot of your work in time, but I've read some of it, as we said before. Hi, honey. Hi. Are you saying goodbye? Or just come and sit right here. Um, and it was interesting that, I don't I had a hard time hearing okay. your normal voice. And why I say that is because I think you really pushed yourself outside of your comfort. I mean, it feels like you pushed yourself a bit outside your comfort zone. And there was like a part of you that maybe I'm not as familiar with that came out in this writing. That's what I'm saying. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Uh,
1: no, that's interesting because... Um... I'm trying to think if it felt like awkward or uncomfortable. Um, I mean, I was trying to keep in mind and like be intentional about your um, your reflection of like, you know, wanting something that kind of came from a more personal side of me versus just like, you know, a research paper with um, like, you know, arguments and objective observations about things. Um, but I don't, I mean, I think this is also stuff I've thought a lot about, um, and have discussed with other people. So I didn't feel like it was uncharted territory to be covering it.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely like felt that, that this was a lot of, um, that what you wrote described a lot of processes that you've gone through throughout your years and that's how you wrote it you kind of wrote it from like the beginning of your life a little bit moving on through your 20s and and to present day and you know I could tell that that this is something you've been chewing on and talking to other people including myself you know and and there's some of some points in here that you wrote about your experience with Judaism and like you know in college when you said you know you were uncertain about how you felt about your Jewish faith because you felt like you're agnostic or atheist, or whichever one it was that you described, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and so like it was interesting to to know that part of you during that time when you were you know struggling with it, and the time that you know we were in Hillel together in the mm-hmm. soror- the Jewish sorority, and I was really excited about that. But it was interesting to see your perspective on like like you, you said being kind of a, a you prided yourself on being a lazy sorority sister in that setting, and I didn't like. I mean, I, I sensed that at the time that you were just kind of doing your thing, but I didn't know how intentional it was in your brain. Um, so it it was for me, it was a fascinating perspective on parts of your life that I only have small glimpses into because of what you've you have shared with me. Mm-hmm. And um, so it, it felt like I I know you better now, especially through through this part of your your life and your family and your religion, mm-hmm. um, I was surprised. So, um, so, so let's, let's ask you, unless you have something to comment on that, did you want me to, to go through? Some oh, of no,
1: I think it's, um, it's just, it's cool to, you know, to realize how, um, much, you know, we have our conversations with ourselves in our heads and we have various conversations with friends, but like, the opportunity to write about something at length. Um, you know, how that then, so now that I have this written,
0: you know, you and I can
1: talk about it, but you've already kind of been given that window and we can start from a place that's sort of further along in my identity, which is, it's just as cool.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and this is part, well, part of why it's exciting to do this project with you, just because while well, we've had, 18 plus years of being friends, um, there's a lot of holes in that, that, you know, we've been close, but also we've been physically separated and, you know, at times emotionally separated just because of distance. Mm -hmm. Um, And that it's not like we can go to a workshop and and work through all our walls and barriers with each other in our, in our relationships. Mm -hmm. um, And so this has been even just, the couple of sessions that we've done so far has been has been incredibly eye opening to be like wow, I mean I've always known who Hanna is, and yet now I know even just a small bit more about who Hanna is, and like it's it's really wonderful to to see that unfolding together.
1: Definitely, I wholeheartedly agree.
0: <laughs> so, what was so writing this piece? What what was that process like for you? Like. Was it, is it just a conscious, like a one conscious stream of thought? I can I'm not saying that right. Was it just like, did you sit down and write or was this a harder piece for you to do or what was it like? Uh,
1: so unlike the last one, I wrote this over, I think it was three days. Um, but similar to the last one, I didn't do really any editing. Like I certainly haven't really read it since I finished it. Um, but I do remember when I sat down to start it and looked at the prompt, you know, I wrote that first sentence. This is such a large question. I could spend the rest of my life writing a book and wouldn't be able to cover it entirely. Um, I I was a little overwhelmed at the beginning because it is like every, everything that I could, and I still have not covered, you know, my whole experience or identity, but, um, you know, every little thing that I think about leads to other things, which kind of makes me laugh because um, I was doing some personal writing a few weeks ago after talking with my dad and his cousin, we're doing kind of like a a family history project where I'm writing my dad's memoirs and, um, and his cousin, you know, I kind of laugh because if you ask her about anything that happened, you know, in their childhood or whatever, It mm. always has to, like, back it up several generations. So I'll say something about, you know, well, what was it like, uh, you know, living in the apartment next door to your cousins who you'd never met before moving to the U.S.? And she'll start with some story about their great-grandparents, my great-great-grandparents, back in the mm. country, um, you know, as, like, the foundation for came to pass in like the 1950s and 60s and so it's funny to see Mm. my own writing of like I can't just start from like the now it has to be let me take Mm. (laughs) (laughs)
0: long 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 ago yeah (laughs) actually I would like you to read uh, like uh, the last couple paragraphs of of this piece um, where it starts I was reading recently about a resurgence do you think you could read that to the end sure um so you want me to start from
1: that sentence specifically
0: yes okay
1: so i was reading recently about a resurgence of interest in jewish identity among young polish people people who come from jewish families but much like the conversos of spain and its colonies didn't realize it because their parents and grandparents hid that aspect of their identity in order to be safe from continued persecution after the end of World War II. Decades after the fall of the USSR and 75 years after the Holocaust ended, but not widespread anti-Semitism in Eastern European nations, people in their 20s and 30s are discovering a part of their heritage that they never knew existed before. The fact that there are so many stories of discovery, reinvention, connection, rivalry, loss, fear, perseverance, joy, Fetching and felling gives me hope in my continued journey with my own identity that there will always be new things to experience, enjoy, and learn from.
0: Thank you. I I feel like that kind of tied, like, when I started reading it in the beginning, I could tell, like, you were trying to get, you know, get your flow going a bit and, like, where am I going with this? But about halfway through, I felt like it was, like, suddenly you're, like, taking a stand in this, like, in in this essay that you're writing about. And the flow became much more easy. And I felt like you, I don't know, had more of a, almost like an investment in like where you're headed with, with these thoughts. Mm-hmm. And it was really fascinating for me to read about, um, you know, who w- what what being Jewish is like for people our age or younger and, and the further we are removing ourselves from the time of the Holocaust and the time of, you know, your grandparents you know, we're, we're so removed from that time, obviously, um, in terms of what's happening around in the world, but also just generationally what life looks like. And um, so it's, it's interesting to me to, to see that pe- younger people seem to be wanting to find out more. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you had even mentioned earlier in this piece about how you wished you could speak to your grandparents more about this stuff. And how I'm curious if, if it was spoken more about, but you were too young, or do you think, do you think your family did bury a lot of stuff and didn't talk about it?
1: Um, you know, I think my, so my grandparents, and typically, especially when I'm thinking about a lot of this stuff, it's mostly my dad's parents. Um, my mom's dad died when I was, um, four. So I have very few memories of him and, my mom's mom was very involved in her Jewish community but you know her her tie to Judaism I think mirrors much more closely kind of like modern American Jews um, you know in that she wasn't particularly religious when she was younger she kind of became um, a little bit more observant as she got older and it was really sort of like a point of, of pride and uh, there's a whole other family story with that, but. I think about my my dad's parents with a lot of this, um, you know, especially with regard to their experience during the Holocaust. Um, they they had a few stories that they would tell us that I think were sort of like the the family appropriate stories, if you will. Um, so it's not like they never mentioned it, but there were a lot of things that they didn't specifically address. They never told us about them, or maybe they only told one or two people. And then now, especially after they've, you know, it's been a few years since they've passed away, some things are coming out into the open. Um, But I think they didn't really, you know, I think there was sort of this sense of gratitude for still being alive um, and for being able to have a new and comparatively amazing life in the U.S. that I think, you know, I, I never got the sense they wanted to dwell on it. I think they didn't see it as um, productive to kind of wallow in what had happened to them and their family. Um, So like, you know, I um, I think I mentioned last time my family isn't very much into like talking about emotions and stuff. So that yeah. might be part of the result of that. But, you know, I will say like, both of my dad's parents were incredibly warm, outgoing, gregarious people. Mm-hmm. I think they wanted to shield us a little bit from some of the the worst, you know, goings on of, of their experience during that time.
0: Yeah, I, I can see why they would want to do that. I mean, it, especially that kind of experience, having that like, A, why would you want to keep bringing it up in terms of your own trauma um, and, like, tell your grandchildren about horrors, you know? But also, at the same time, you know, the question, especially in the U.S. right now, about bearing histories, for instance, with, the you know, the statues down in the South, of, like, you know, if we take these statues down, are we bearing history, or are we, you know, erasing history, or are we forgetting, or, you know, like... Like, do you feel like certain things around your grandparents' time want wants to be just swept under the rug or do you do you get the sense that they were trying to keep it alive and awake so that it won't happen again but also trying to do it in a way that isn't so horrific like you know speaking about it in such a horrific way or do you have a sense
1: I mean you know there there are a couple of interesting things that have been kind of realizations over the last few years one of which is that so my my grandparents did not think of themselves as holocaust survivors uh because they weren't in the camps Mm. um and so i've never thought of myself until a few years ago actually really within the last couple of years as a grandchild of holocaust survivors Mm. Um, But really, you know, starting to think about it, the experiences they went through and also the unspoken impact. So even if they're not talking about it openly with their children or with us as grandchildren, you know, going through such a um, such an extreme situation um, can't help but impact how you live the rest of your life, how you raise your family, how you approach, you know, strangers, a million things. Right. Like. We talk about that with people who went through the depression as well that, that there are certain um, habits and behaviors and reactions that really only exist in in that cohort because of the intense extreme exper- um, experience that they went through. So I definitely think my, my grandparents had that, um, but they didn't necessarily perceive themselves as, again, survivors.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so I, I wonder if there was also this aspect of like, they, um, you know, and, and especially being survivors and having um, had so much family not survive um, mm-hmm. that, you know, they, they needed to sort of carry the torch forward and, um, and like, again, kind of wallowing wouldn't do, um, I guess, justice. To, or wouldn't, like, be the right legacy for all the people that they did lose. I never got the impression that they were ashamed of anything that happened. Um, I really do think it came from a place of, like, love and protection, for better or worse, of of the rest of us.
0: Yeah, I like, I like seeing it in that way of, of love and protection. And while love and protection can have, you know, different sides of how – how how people go about to do that, <laughs> how to protect um, through through their love. Um, it's it, it's nice to to think about. I, I'm trying to figure out how to say this. Like with with your grandparents, of thinking generationally generationally out from them of like their children gr- children and grandchildren great grandchildren how their life experience because of their faith may impact their great-grandchildren.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: so it seems like very forward generational thinking. Um, and, and I wonder how much traumatic events like that causes that kind of, um, you know, purpose beyond self, like thinking out, you know, further out, seven generations out, mm-hmm. like what the link is for that.
1: Well, and there's a really wonderful author. I've started his book, but I've not yet to finish it. I'm not sure if you're familiar with um, Viktor Frankl and his book, Man's Search for Meaning. No. So he um, is a concentration camp survivor, I think a a death camp survivor, Mm. went on to um, become kind of a towering figure in psychology. Mm -hmm. Um, And so his I would say probably his best known work is Man's Search for Meaning. He writes some about his own experiences in the camp. Um, but it really like that experience and seeing who lived and who died, not mm-hmm. by the whim of of being shot by other people, but who kind of like gave up and just sort of stopped wanting to live versus who continued, you know, even in the face of despair to like try and, and um, have that like internal spark of wanting to keep on going. Um, mm-hmm. He got really interested in yeah, sort of like what um, what gives us motivation and drive and purpose, um, which I find fascinating. Yeah, not I like who that. you'd think. Say that again. I'm sorry. It's not always who you'd think. Like it's not always. Young, healthy, mm-hmm. strong people. Um, sometimes there might be other intangibles that cause someone to have a lot more determination mm. to keep going than just being in good shape.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I've read a lot about that kind of surviving stuff um, through doing uh, survival skills and the work I've done with with outdoor skills and you know reading books about people who've survived. Being lost in the you know in the woods for days or weeks and and the sort of mindset that needs to be adopted in order to to make it through um, you know you can only go so far physically without elements or other accidents happening and taking your life. However, it's all in the brain and mm-hmm. you know how do you manage your panic and how you know how are you bringing things down to small bits during the day so that you have smaller goals than the bigger, larger goal of just staying alive. And and it, yeah, and it also comes down to faith mm-hmm. and hope and, and how resilient you are at coping with those emotional and spiritual stresses. And um, I think I, I would be fascinated to read that book about this person's experience and seeing that, especially from a psychological point of view, of being in that position with a bunch of people, not just by yourself
1: mm-hmm.
0: and, and seeing around you the humanity and, and who, yes, who does break and who, who stays, you know, driven and who has this, this hope that they keep walking towards. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's a really beautiful idea. And um, I, I was also really excited to hear you talk about, your, your experience right now with where you're living. So you're, you're living in, you know, Bavaria and in what you call basically the hotbed of the Nazi party movement. And like, I didn't even consider that when I, I mean, I know you live in Germany right now, um, but, but that aspect hadn't really struck me until you wrote about how uncomfortable you were at first when you moved there because of you know, your family's background. Um, so I was curious about what what came up for you emotionally um, or what surprises came up for you during this, especially around that, that realization.
1: Yeah, it's been <laughs> an emotional roller coaster. Um, and I wouldn't say I've necessarily like settled into it entirely. Um, you know, I, I've talked with Travis about the fact that I... I don't know if I will ever be able to be 100% comfortable here. Um, it's interesting that, so, in where, where we live, is very rural, but even, you know, the town or the city that we live nearby, um, there is a very, very, very small Jewish community. Uh, none of the people in it, as far as I understand, are actually from this area. There was a large movement of, um, of russian jews during the soviet union's time mm. uh, to germany to western germany to kind of escape the persecution that that religious jews were experiencing under a fervently anti-religion regime um, and so but it's it's incredibly small um, and so it's been interesting to be in a place that for all intents and purposes is sort of Jewish person free (laughs) Um, and like going to certain um, exhibits on you know the Holocaust and stuff everything talks about Jewish people in the past tense which is really weird and it made me feel like huh I wonder if this is what it's like to be a member of a Native American tribe in the U.S. yeah interesting where you're like the dominant conversation only talks about me and my identity and the people in my community as a thing of the
0: past and how erasing that feels. That's, that's really poignant to, to point that out. Uh, I've I've done a lot of work um, with working with native American tribes and uh, friends who are native American. It's in Especially in going to workshops to understand, um, you know, history and, and what uh, what it means to be a modern day Native American person, and how people often forget to say we're still here, mm-hmm. <laughs> we're not gone mm-hmm. yet. Yet history keeps talking about how we were basically wiped out, and nobody even realizes the Kalapuya still live right here in Eugene. You know, completely healthy people. Mm -hmm. who um and they're forgotten they're forgotten people Mm -hmm. and that and so you're saying that you've being in Germany that is has been your experience?
1: I mean I would say probably in this part of Germany you know I think in Berlin or some of the other cities outside of Bavaria, um you know it's there are more developed Jewish communities um you know, where so we, we are almost halfway between Munich and Nuremberg. Um, Munich is, you know, pretty closely associated with the Nazi Party with the Beer Hall Putsch. Nuremberg is really, really closely associated with the Nazi Party because that's, you know, they named the anti Jewish code of laws after Nuremberg. Um, they built a whole complex there for holding Nazi Party rallies, which is really fascinating to visit or uh, mm. have a chance, and then they held the trials there afterward because it had been the symbolic um, home of the Nazi movement. Um, wow. The first time Travis and I went there, you know, he he had known about the trials, but he didn't know why they were held there. He didn't know about the code of, of um, regulations or anything. And I told him, I was like, I feel kind of defiant walking around as a mm-hmm. person who is alive today. Um, just, like, strutting around this town because you all tried to basically annihilate my people, and yet I'm still here 75 years later. Um, so that's why, like, yeah, just the emotional process of, of living here is an ongoing one. And we, like, we have a, a good friend whose family is, he is from Nuremberg. Um, and I haven't talked with him at length about being Jewish, but he knows that I am Jew. You know, my family is Jewish, and um, yeah. So I haven't yet gotten to the point of like potentially uncomfortable conversations with people about their family history, mm. and so that I want to at least at this point.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing all that. That's. Uh, I mean, that's that's intense. <laughs> yeah. Like, to be carrying this weight of. Of what happened to your, your ancestors and your family um, and walking in those streets echoing that that horror and that pain and that trauma of people wanting to wipe you out for no good reason whatsoever um, and, and, and standing in your power um, and as you said defiantly I'm still here Mm-hmm. And and I'm living here and still with my Jewish faith, still with my, you know, family background. And I feel those ripples. You, you know, you feel th- that that wasn't that long ago. <laughs> mhm. Mm-hmm. It's still etched into the stone, it's still etched into the memories of people who lived it because people are still alive who lived through that. Mhm. So it's it's I I feel like it's it's you know on one hand almost courageous of you to be living in that and to not only like be okay to live there as as, as much as you are okay to be there, but also to allow yourself to dive in to the emotion of it,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and you know you could go far <laughs> down yeah. that road of, of what you wrote here. I think it's it's an incredibly important um, piece and for you and also for you know any any time you want to maybe dive deeper into this i'm i'm curious if you ever want to write about this experience more if that's if that's something that maybe tugged on some hidden passion that you didn't know you had or do you feel like you've you're good
1: <laughs> um always definitely you know open to writing more about it um so you know i think it's not like some overwhelming thing that I have to get off my chest, but um, definitely something that I find valuable to continue exploring.
0: Cool. Yeah. Well, thank you.
1: Yeah. Thank you.
0: In next week's episode, Anna is prompted to write a fictional story that connects healing from trauma with the help of the earth and talks with Hannah about how the process of writing the piece gave pause to reflect upon codependency compassion fatigue, and questions the healer archetype.
1: This podcast has been another episode of The Pen Is, with your hosts Anna Bradley and Hannah Binder, and technical support provided by Julie Enersen. Thanks, as always, for spending some time with us as we learn about ourselves as writers and humans. You can find new episodes weekly on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. We love hearing from others about their own experiences with writing. Please feel free to email us at anahannapodcast at gmail.com. Until next week, keep that pen busy.